You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Where grevilleas grow and basil blooms, it's pollinator week and it's coming to you. Do they have four wings or do they have two where their eyes are placed? That's the real clue. So take a walk, bring a pen. When the flowers smell sweet, who will you meet this pollinator week? Red rocket in orbit above the city. Reading the landscape in the language of UV. An aviator asks, Peter, what is it you see? Eucalypts to eat and lantana to sleep. Pollinator, pollinator. Is that a read me that I see? Pollinator. Well, good morning, good morning, everybody. It is 7.33 and this is The Gardening Show. My name is A.B. Bishop. Um, Apologise for the new music that you had today. That was the Australian Pollinator Week song, which is a very cute song, not specifically relevant at the moment because Pollinator Week isn't till November. But um, unfortunately, our theme music, the the Gardening Show theme music, had uh, disappeared from the computer this morning, so hence um, playing a slightly different song and also apologise to people who were listening to Women on the Line uh, that show started late so there was five minutes left to go on that show so if you need to hear the end of that um, you have to download that please um, download the podcast to that so this is The Gardening Show it is just after 7.30 on a Sunday and um, later in the program we'll be chatting with Doug Evans about a citizen science event that's about to hit Melbourne uh, later in the week um, called the City Nature Challenge. And uh, at 8 o'clock we'll be um, speaking with Lucille Strachan um, who is part of the Friends Royal Botanic Gardens and they've got their autumn plant sale Uh, coming up and so we'll be chatting with her she'll be in the studio later but right now I have the pleasure of introducing two very familiar voices Uh, we've got Craig Wilson from Gentiana Nursery and landscaper Loretta Child so good morning people Good morning and good morning to the listeners. Yeah, good morning. Love, lovely morning. autumn morning. We were just talking about how nice it is to have that really sort of uh, subdued heat, yeah. shall we say. Yeah, the earth is still warm and yeah. wonderful for planting. That's yeah. right. That's right. So I think it's the busiest time of year in the garden. So, so not relaxed at all, Craig? Well, it depends what you call relaxed. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Out there planting and... And moving yeah. things around. Yep. Yeah. Mulching and... Yeah. Planning. Yeah. Planning too. Yeah, that's right. There. Yeah, mm. yeah. yeah the, certainly. I mean, autumn, in one sense, it has that really beautiful feeling of sort of... Ah, well, especially for people, and I think we all live in bushfire zones, and come autumn, we're like, oh my goodness, thank Great, we've gone through another bushfire season without uh, anything untoward happening. Um, But yeah, as you say, Craig, it is definitely a good time for planting and moving, etc., etc. And And feeding. Feeding, yes, of course. Uh Yeah, yeah. This only sign of um, bushfires has been the burning off. And I was noticing over Easter that there was this incredible burning off that. 
the whole valley in, in the Yarra Valley was full of smoke from mm. burning off over Easter, which I was thought of thinking very much about the wineries, about the, all that hospitality who are desperate for, you know, people to be out there and participate. And here they are down in the valley covered in smoke. So that, that's the bushfire season. <laughs> mm. <laughs> yeah, very um, welcome to the Yarra Valley Yep. Yes, bring, bring your breathing mask. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> don't, don't worry about your COVID mask, just bring your breathing mask. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so how was it um, today? Today, um, Yarra Glen was covered in a thick layer mm-hmm. of um, fog and that would probably be lifting, I think, about 11. It, it will, will take a while. Yeah. So, um, but it looked beautiful for me because I'm above it. Yeah, you, you're yeah. right on the top hill, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. Over specifically yeah. right on the edge of the Yarra Valley, looking across yes. to the Dandenongs yeah. and Mount. Can you see Mount Tubliwong from your place? Yes. Yeah. Yep. 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 All of those. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful it's view. Gorgeous, and uh, we're just smarty pants. Yep. Really. Yeah. Lovely. <laughs> and did you guys get the rain? Oh yeah. Lovely. Yeah. 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 That was beautiful. A bit soaking of a reprieve. Rain. Yeah. 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 It was just the perfect heaviness, wasn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, just soaked in perfectly. And it has. Yeah. Yeah, because I was digging in the garden yesterday morning and it's gone right down. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Do you um, at all sort of specifically measure your soil moisture? Is that something that you would do or it's just no. more when you're sort of out there just digging the around and, and have a look. Seeing, seeing what's going scientific, on? Scientific, Yeah, very yeah. scientific. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, just see what's going on. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Ah, and so what, what else... Is happening in autumn gardens at the moment? Look, it, it, like I said, it's a busy time of year and moving. If you want to move, you know, reasonably established shrubs, now's the time to do it. Yep. When the soil's nice and warm and mm. moist. And, and even if, if a plant looks like it's dormant or going into mm. dormancy, the roots will be moving furiously. Yep, yeah. And, it, and the wind isn't shocking. It's, a, you know, as opposed to September, October. So that moving... Mm-hmm. And yes, you're going to stake and whatnot, depending on the size of it. But mm. once again, you don't even have those terrible winds. Yeah, yeah. The springs it's a dreadful time to do it. Mm. Mm. Yeah, because the soil's cold. Yeah, that's. And right. then the plants aren't really growing. No. Yeah. What are you moving, Craig? Uh, rhododendron. Mm-hmm. Uh, I moved some mahonia yesterday, which are now mm-hmm. berberus. Um, what, just after the move. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they, t- they changed into berberus. <laughs> they did. <laughs> Uh, maples, mm-hmm. all sorts of things. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I think I should plant them with a trolley underneath them. <laughs> yeah. Why are you yeah. moving them? Because you've got to get it right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I did a lot of planting when we first got there in, in the um, in the drought. Mm. Um, and really it was just plants that hadn't sold in the nursery because, you know, we couldn't buy anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're substandard. So substandard in terms of you wouldn't want to sell them or substandard in terms of now you want to put them somewhere else in the garden so you don't see them as much? I want to grow more rare and precious things. Okay. Yeah. So they're getting the backseat yep. treatment. Yep. Aww. <laughs> no, there's no, no room for sentimentality. Okay. Yeah. But, but, well, there obviously is a little bit because you replant them rather than digging them up and burning them. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what are the new things that are going in? Um, some pseudo winteria, um, caprosma, mm-hmm. one of the New Zealand ones. Mm-hmm. A friend of mine's bringing me up three really big Norfolk Island tree ferns, which is very exciting. Yeah, they're beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Not is it Norfolk? Yeah, Norfolk or Lord Howe. I think it's Lord Howe. Okay. Right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Big tree ferns. Yeah. Yeah, with yep. big fronds. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Are you going to sort of create a, a little bit of a, a space where they're all in together? Absolutely. And, yeah. 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 Oh, beautiful. And yeah. and some lower plantings? For I that? think grasses. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Ostrostiper. Yeah. Yeah, so there's bronze. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And caprosma. Mm. So we're going for the New Zealand look. Yep. The caprosma is a divaricating one, so it's okay. one of the ones with tiny leaves. Right, yeah. oh, beautiful. Yeah. Oh, that is exciting. I always I mean, love it when you come in, Craig. All I mean, I actually have heard of coprosma, mm. probably just because of the weed, but anyway, but uh, there's a whole lot of names that get thrown my way that I've got no idea what you're talking about, but I know they'll be amazing plants if you're growing them. There's a little one that I'm growing now which comes from the Victorian Alps. It's tiny. A coprosma? Yep. Oh, goodness. And phenomenally slow. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Not a plant for me then. <laughs> you're, you're in a hurry, are you? <laughs> well, it's not so much I'm in a hurry. It's just that I tend to forget what I've got in. And if it hasn't done something quickly, yep. especially if it's in a pot, um, mm. I've, I've yeah. got a few bulbs in pots and honestly, I completely forget. I just think it's a pot of um, potting mix that I haven't emptied into the compost and then before you know it, there's a little bulb pop popping out and um, off we go again. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, um, yeah, I, I am slightly impatient, I have to say. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I well, love things like that that take time. Yeah, okay, yeah. 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 Well, I mean, but you, um, the competition around your garden, that's... Um, yeah, that's frustrating too, isn't it? Because, I mean, you've sort of got animals that really yes. are very, very good at It's just getting to a really good height and then yeah. what happens? It yeah. At least the rabbits are no more, so that yeah. that is terrific. But Amazing. the wallabies, we've got two wallabies and they're just so cute. And what are you going to do? You're not going to chase them away. You're going to no. stand there and take photos of them eating your acacia pignantha. But these are things that you live with. I mean, exactly. They're native. Exactly. Yeah. But you do want to say to them, could you maybe just wait? You know, six months, just let it establish and then nibble the ends. Yeah. Just don't nip out the growing tip all the time. Mm. Yeah, uh, you're right. But they're so beautiful. They are so cute. Yeah. yeah. It's also, I was thinking, it's a lovely time of year to go to the nursery, have a look at your deciduous trees, see the colours they yeah. are, see the leaf in general. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and see, you can look at some slightly mature ones in pots and think, okay, rather than... I mean, it's fine for us. We know what we're buying mm. and you see something, you know, of course, bare-rooted, great, in June or July. But for the novice, I think it's a wonderful time to really see what your colours are like and uh, then go and do some planting of something slightly mature. Mm -hmm. mm. Like you're saying, you're transplanting, but for other people who want establishing, I think it's a great time. Mm. Mm. Trees, shrubs, anything that's autumnal, really. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Right. yeah. Uh, are you putting anything in at the moment? Um, I'm trying to. I just keep <laughs> getting sort of uh, negated by other things, but I, um, I'm sort of continuing to look at a bit of succession planting. Mm -hmm. uh, because uh, it's a native garden. There are things that have just sort of 15 years old and they've had their time and yeah. um, I'm you know, oh, a bit tough. Go, yeah. no, you're looking too scraggy and scruffy or there's things that I have been busy doing someone else's landscape and I haven't kept on top of pruning and it's once again with natives, you know, they love a prune, mm. um, so many of them. So there are things, some of the, the really older wastringias I really want to 
I think they're just too leggy. I want to get them out and get something new in and I never have a problem with taking things out, like you're saying, moving no. or... But, I mean, with natives, it's not a moving thing. It's a continual it's, process yeah. with natives, isn't, isn't it? Isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, mm. I'm delighted as I brought in this bit, this marginata, Banksia, and looking at that after many, many years, it is a couple of metres tall and it's looking fantastic and mm-hmm. I'll, I'll be leaving that in for a lot longer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I was... Uh, I'm writing a... Or I've written a story for the uh, Gardening Australia mag on um, large fr- large flowered grevilleas, which um, sometimes get lumped into the category of tropical grevilleas, uh, which is a bit of a misnomer, and I explain mm. why in the article. Uh, but I've been chatting with uh, a couple of uh, grevillea experts, Neil Marriott, who's over in, in Stall near, near the Grampians, and... Um, Richard Tomkin, who's from Changes Green Nursery in pretty much far north Queensland. And they both were telling me um, with grevilleas, because we often have this sort of perception that they are quite um, finicky about their pruning and you don't want to over prune them, etc. But uh, they get the chainsaw out. And just chop that. So these are the, the specifically the large flowered ones, mm. and they just because they do form a bit of a lignotuber, and they've got that epicormic growth happening, and they all just take them. Some some of them take them right down to the ground, like six mm. inches above the ground. Wow. Um, whereas Richard was suggesting, you know, maybe one and a half meters, depending on what you're growing. If you're growing something like moonlight, and and that's sort of the thing that we're talking about. Those ones with a really large terminal they're, yeah. they're called bottle brush flowers which is yes. very confusing because then people think they're called callistamins which of course they're not yeah. um what would you do with the moonlight um, he, well he does say to prune annually from what from when you have it um and if you prune annually it sort of stimulates that epicormic growth whereas you wouldn't necessarily or it was interesting because there was a couple of trains of thought um a couple of people thought it doesn't matter when you like even if you've left it for four years you could sort of hack it down and it would hopefully not in not in all cases but hopefully re-sprout and you end up having this gorgeous lush plant with flowers where you can actually see them um but richard was saying for things the taller growing ones like misty pink and um sylvia and what else moonlight of course um to take them down to about one and a half meters Mm-hmm. And um, prune them very close to the trunk, and then just let them re-sprout. Great, so. great! I'm going home to do that this afternoon. What yeah. have you got? The moonlight. Oh, where's moonlight in your garden? Yeah, it's sort of—it's just there, not doing much. Ah. And I keep looking at it, thinking, you know, you need a prune, and I, I love that. I've got confirmation now. Yeah, yeah. I'm going just hack, hack it back. Mm. It's like when you did the uh, Coria. Yeah. The Col- um, Coliban Coliban River, River. Mm. and yeah, so Loretta, had, yeah, do you want to? Well, that it, it got a bit of a sooty mould all over, and and I have a number of them, and and they're they're quite a solid big bank and feature, mm. and all at one year, many many years, and they're sort of about twelve hundred high, and or at least, and I thought, man, what am I going to do here? And I thought, all right, well, I'll just cut it all the way down, basically to a, a bare trunk. And within three weeks, it all sprouted, and they are 
there a metre tall again. Okay, because would you be able to do that with all chorea? Because my experience is that mm. they can turn their toes up with that treatment. Yeah, well, that's I've really only done it with the Coliban River, mm. and, and they uh, they self seed enormously too. I find um, Belenii and um, Coliban River. I have seedlings all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. But the, the little spinulosa hybrids, the Banksia yep. spinulosas, yep. you can cut them right back to the lignotuber. Yep. Mm. It's fantastic, mm. the results you get. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I'm actually noticing at the moment, this is a little bit of a, a, a different thought, but um, I've got a couple of beautiful little, not a uh, little pale pink uh, prostrate, the most prostrate chorea, pale pink, so it's not Elba, um, dark green leaf, and I planted a mass of those in uh, tubes, far too many, lost a few, but they're a solid ground cover. Mm. And I'm just looking at, I walk along and I'll really just every week or so pull a couple of little weeds out, but they are like a mat. Fantastic things, but I don't know, you know, whether you can, I don't need any pruning, but yeah. I mean, yeah, fantastic to really suppress the weed cover. is. Uh, and Long Acres, we had a waratah, which was <laughs> big and tall and wafty. Mm. So I cut it down to less than a metre um, and it shot away beautifully, which I knew it would. Mm. And then the other day I was looking at it and bloody deer are eating it. Ah. Can you believe it? Waratah. I would so never annoying. have picked Waratah. Yeah. Yeah. That is frustrating. It's fenced. Yeah. Yeah. It's like everything else. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not fair. Not fair, yeah, damn, damn deer. We were just saying before, Craig and I, just about that destruction, not not just sort of feeding. They're not feeding. They're just destructing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and of course, not in, intentionally, but that's just their nature, trampling through the bush, tramping through the, the creek bed areas where they like mm. to travel, yeah. uh, destroying frog habitat. Yeah. Platypus habitat. Platypus. Yabby yeah. habitat. Yeah. 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 It's, um, it, it is surprising that uh, there's not more um, government programs, I think culling programs, to get rid of that because I, I think that's something that could eventually be overcome just if it's chipped away at, chipped away at continuously. Big issue to deal with in the high country. Yeah. Yeah, with remote. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. but... I guess you've got to start somewhere. Yeah, you do. So, yeah. yeah. And like out in Warburton, I mean, they are just out of control. Remember, Alita's garden is just destroyed in yeah. various areas. And yeah. heartbreaking mm. when, you, when you're a gardener. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. heartbreaking. I know it's funny, isn't it? You, some people have this sort of dream of moving to the country or the bush to create a beautiful garden. And there's so many things that wreck it. I say, just stay in Coburg. <laughs> Create a beautiful garden in Coburg. That's right. <laughs> Where you're not going to have a million things eating it. All right, well, I should get to some community announcements. So this is The Gardening Show, and my name is A.B. Bishop, and I'm in the studio with uh, landscaper Loretta Childs and plantsman and nursery owner from Gentiana Nursery, Craig Wilson. Uh, so we've got a few community announcements to get through. The Friends of Geelong Botanic Gardens presents their National Trust Heritage Walk. Geelong Botanic Gardens are the fourth oldest botanic gardens in Australia. The first curators were avid plant collectors and many of the splendid trees they planted now have heritage status. 
Several historic structures have also found a home at the gardens, including some curiosities. So the walk is on today at 2pm and it's a gold coin donation. Uh, You can meet your guide at the front steps of the Geelong Botanic Gardens. The Yarra Valley Autumn Plant Fair and Expo is got its second day today and it's open from 10 o'clock till 5 o'clock and that's at 125 Quail Road and Quail spelt Q-U-A-Y-L-E Road in Wandon. Um, if you need more info, you can go to yarravalleyplantfair.com.au There's a wide variety of plants for sale, um, lots of autumn flowers and foliage, so probably a good time, as you were talking about, Loretta, to go and check out some Mm -hmm. autumnal foliage. Uh, There's landscape and urban garden specialists sharing their knowledge on plants, garden design and garden equipment. There's a speaker stage featuring top growers from the Yarra Valley and beyond who will be displaying and talking about their special plants. And uh, Stephen Ryan and Basili will be there sort of overseeing it all and uh, chatting to everyone. There's 30 stall holders, Devonshire tea and plenty of other food, coffee, local wine and beer. Uh, you can get tickets at the gate for $16 for adults and 14 for concession. Plenty of parking and dogs are welcome on a lead. Okie dokie. The Friends of Burnley Gardens invite you to the presentation Autumn Flowers in Greece with Jeff Crowhurst, which is on Thursday the 28th of April. This is at 7pm, drinks and nibbles and then 730 for the talk. Since retiring in 2000, Jeff has travelled to places that promised the chance to see interesting gardens and wildflowers, including China, Bhutan, Iran, Bulgaria, Corsica and South Africa. He has previously presented on wildflowers and gardens of Iran and Sichuan. Jeff is a member of the Mediterranean Garden Society, which holds its AGM in different locations, allowing those who attend the opportunity to enjoy visits to local gardens and wildflower tours. The last AGM before the pandemic was held in Athens. They enjoyed lovely autumn weather and a feast of flowers in Corfu and the Pallian Peninsula, in addition to what could be seen around Athens. So I assume that's what Jeff will be presenting on. Uh, So as I said, it's on Thursday the 28th of April. It's at MB10 Burnley Campus, 500 Yarra Boulevard in Richmond. $10 for members, $20 for non-members. Parking is available on the boulevard and you need to be double vaxxed and you can book via Try Booking. So that's the Friends of Burnley Gardens Autumn Flowers in Greece with Jeff Crowhurst presentation. Friends of Burnley Gardens have got another um, thing. They invite you to an autumn propagation workshop with Sasha Andrusiak. That's on Saturday the 30th. And Sasha has completed a graduate and postgraduate studies in horticulture and climate change at the Burnley campus. And that was um, many years ago and has held lots of roles uh, since. Propagation is a big passion and she loves to share her skills in the area. Participants will be guided on the propagation of a range of plants. Uh, You can propagate a punnet or two of seasonal veggies, herbs or flowers. 
propagate some perennial herbs from stem cuttings and learn various techniques to propagate indoor plants from leaf cuttings, including African violet, streptocarpus, sansevieria, peperomia and begonia. And your um, propagation outcomes will be kept in the Burnley glasshouses and you can pick them up whenever they're ready. So that's that sounds like... Um, a fun workshop that's on Saturday the 30th of April from 10.30am to 1pm. Morning tea is provided. Members is $35, non-members $45. If you're coming along, please wear closed shoes, which is a health and safety requirement. And that's at the Burnley Nursery, Burnley Campus, 500 Yarra Boulevard, Richmond, and parking in the boulevard. Again, um, everyone needs to provide proof of COVID vaccinations and book via try booking. Okie dokie. The Plant Society and Yarra City Council present Garden State Festival. And this is a festival which is running over three days from Friday the 29th of April through till Sunday the 1st of May. Um, I jumped online at gardenstatefestival.com.au and there's a lot going on. It's quite interesting. They're celebrating plants, art, craft, design, food, music and performance and elevating what it means to be a modern gardener. Events are spread across Melbourne's inner suburbs. I think there's quite a few going on in Collingwood. Uh, the Bakehouse Studios, Courtyard Garden, Open Morning. There's an installation by Hattie Malloy at the Music Market, uh, Collingwood Yards. You can create a plant pet or tabletop garden with Becky Orpin. There's a succulent workshop with Andrew, Andrew Kepitus and a family workshop to build an arty worm tower. I'm not sure if it was the worms which were arty or the tower which was arty, but anyway, you can build an arty tower. Uh, various presentations, including Gardening as a Craft in the 21st Century with John Raynor, The Art of Gardening with artists Atong Atem, paper engineer Ben Ahani, garden designer Joe Ferguson and gardener Jack Semler. So there is a lot on and just looked like something quite unique. Um, it was really sort of combining, I suppose, what artists, how they're inspired through plants and gardens. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, just a, a really different take on a garden festival, I think, just mm. bringing maybe people who are more creative and arty into yeah, an area that is usually mostly reserved for horticulturalists and, and gardeners. So I thought that looked quite interesting. So that's the uh, Plant Society and Yarra City Council Garden State Festival. So worth looking that up because there really was a lot of different talks and events and things over, over the three days. So The artistry of putting a garden together is difficult in my view and it's something that you need a lot of practice with. Yes, yeah. yes. Absolutely. And most of us only get one shot at it or two maybe. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and, and as you say, with you starting to move plants around, that's all part of it, isn't Absolutely it? Absolutely, it's yeah. part of it. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. It's understanding the combinations and how things work together and layering and colours and, yeah. And plants not doing what you expected them to do or, yeah, or getting right. eaten or et cetera, yeah. et cetera. And, and putting plants where they like to be rather than where you'd like them to be. Yeah. yeah. And it's also the juxtaposition of also bringing in 
um, some sculpture mm -hmm. uh, where you sort of feel it's not taking away, mm. it is adding. Mm. Um, because I've also often seen some shocking sculpture That's right. in gardens and yeah. you've gone, what on earth are you doing that for? I mean, you, you're sort of basically negating what the garden should be giving you mm. yeah. by putting something in that's ostentatious or, or just inappropriate, mm. I, th I suppose. Yeah. yeah. Sculpture's even more difficult, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And look, I, mean, I think for myself, I, I would say I sculpt more with rock. Yeah. Um, and... The most wonderful thing about rock sculpture, if you want to call it that, but, um, you know, in a practical sense of retention and, and steps and all those things that go with it, the wonderful thing is that you can um, put that absolute core structure in and as your plants take hold, they soften and, and you know, cover them and, and often many of my rocks you will never see for many, many years. But... At the end of the day, when you're doing those things, you're changing those plant um, choices or they've had their life or whatever's happened to them, they've died, you really still have that core, mm -hmm. the heart, the bones mm -hmm. of the garden, so that it is absolutely imperative that those rocks are placed for eternity. Mm. Ultimately, that's my, my wish. Mm. Yeah. I think um, some people don't really appreciate the art of rock placement because so often you see people buy in nice size boulders and literally just pop them on top of the ground they might put them down the driveway etc and there's no nestling into the soil mm. there, there's no sort of connection of that rock with the place yes yes and uh, i'll often lose you know a half to two-thirds of a rock in burying it yes See, I don't do that. I, I was brought up in a part of New Zealand which is some of it's volcanic, some of it's mm -hmm, limestone, mm -hmm. but either way there is rock everywhere yes. and huge outcrops, yep. enormous rock. And one thing from my childhood is, is remembering the sense of instability of the rock, of walking underneath a huge boulder mm. and thinking this could fall over any time. Yep, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, burying a rock, though, is for me, that's, that's at the the beginning of a rock placement. Yeah. So what I'm really talking about is where where it starts from. It's got to start from being very well buried. Mm -hmm. um, you see it emerging and then your rock continues. You certainly don't lose all your rocks in the ground mm. because, you know, you, you're retaining and I've yep. done many, many, many rock walls that are up to three to four metres in height. Yeah. Mm. Um, but that, you know, where it comes from, like you're saying in New Zealand, which um, I love too, mm. love New Zealand, um, yeah, getting those rocks, knowing and looking like that's where they were always. Mm -hmm. mm. So when you're designing a garden, Loretta, is putting rocks in something that you would leave up to the client or is that something that you would recommend? Do you always put them in? Is there always yeah. a place for rocks? Um, I've had a call from... Um, I, I, my excavator driver where he's been with a client and he's decided that the excavator and uh, they're going to put the rocks in together and they've started doing it and I get the call to say, please, help. can you come and help because mm -hmm. I'm going to sort of do something with the uh, client <laughs> because <laughs> they don't have a clue. Yep. They really thought, oh, I've, I've got a guy on a machine and I can do it so that... I would say unless you, you know, that is your thing and, and um, a lot of artists would be 
quite good at it. A number of years ago, a lovely client of mine who is a fabulous artist, painter, she just wanted to stand by me as I was doing the rock placement and work out together how we would do it. And, you know, call me a um, control freak. It just, you can't do it because you've got a a story, a picture in your head Mm -hmm. about where that's going. You take on board from your client what they're wanting um, and how much rock and all those sorts of things. But, you know, you really have to direct uh, what's going on there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and Loretta did all the rock work in our garden, okay. and um, so whenever a plant dares to grow a little bit too far over it, I have to prune it back because I've got Loretta in my head going, "We can't see the rocks." Ah, <laughs> 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 oh, yes. Yeah. So look, um, this morning also, as I mentioned, um, at eight o'clock, right on cue, right on cue, um, we would like to uh, welcome Lucille Strack. Have I pronounced that yes, correctly, yes. Lucille? Yes. Thank you, Ruby. Yes. I, I sort of went forwards and backwards with that if it was strawn, and then I sort of did my head in and couldn't remember if I was right or wrong. So, Strachan. It is. Lovely yes. to have you here, and you've Thank had you. a um, bit of a journey. You're, yes. 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 Oh, I've been over oh just over an hour in the car. Actually, it's been a pretty swift journey. You couldn't do this journey on a weekday at Uh, in the time I've done it, and no, I wasn't speeding. (laughs) Uh, But, yes, it's it's brilliant driving to Melbourne at this hour on a Sunday, although I don't really like getting up this early. (laughs) Yes, but a beautiful view, I'd imagine. Oh, just lovely. The sun was just appearing above some old faraway hills as I drove out my drive. So... uh, Yes, it was it was beautiful. And then I drove into the cloud, but the cloud's breaking up. Okay. So it should be a, a lovely day Cracking day afterwards, yes. yes. Yep. Well, I should let listeners know uh, this is The Gardening Show. I'm A.B. Bishop and uh, I'm in the studio with Loretta Childs and Craig Wilson. But we've also just invited Lucille Strachan. And Lucille is from the Friends of the Royal Botanic Gardens in Victoria and uh, specifically here to talk about uh, the autumn plant fair which is coming up but hopefully we can chat to you about other things as well indeed yeah i'd love to hear a little bit more about your own garden and your garden passions Mm. and and what sort of style you have etc so um did we want to talk first about the autumn plant fair i think we ought yes get get that out of the way so we don't forget well it's the growing friends plant sale and Mm -hmm. it's on the botanic gardens next weekend we're very excited because it's our first sale since Oh, spring of um, 2019, mm. I think. So, yes, it's been a while. We During 2020, we were locked out of the nursery for seven months uh, and we had certainly had several months out last year uh, as well. But we're slowly getting back to some sort of normality um, and very excited to be able to have a sale again for the public. So, uh, did you have a lot of plants sitting there that um, didn't quite make the sale for the, for the last time? And uh, well, we certainly had plants that were there and were locked up like we were. Uh, but yes, they, most of them survived. Uh, they've gone on to be propagated uh, or divided or whatever. Uh, new stock has come in, and we've been very busy bees trying to get this sale together mm-hmm. because we haven't had an awful lot of time to do it. 
Uh, and Come it's on, a bit you've later. had two and a half years. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Most, with a lot of that time out of the nursery, yes. Well, plants, of course, are, are very resilient, and a lot of them survived remarkably well. Fantastic. A few didn't. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's mm. terrific. So um, it's always a very popular plant sale, isn't it? Well, yes, yes people both ones, it. both of our ones are. We have one in spring mm-hmm. and this one in autumn, a bit later than usual perhaps, but uh, a lot of plants are still looking really good thanks to the benign season we've had. Uh, and the last lot of rain, I think, has done everything good, including me. Uh, <laughs> well, certainly makes me feel happier. Yes. Uh, so we've got a full gamut of, of plants. We have trees, shrubs, perennials, succulents, bulbs, um, shade-loving plants, sun-loving plants. So there'll be a full gamut there mm-hmm. for people to choose from. Yeah, and and is it in the same place as usual? Sort of, yes. it's quite prominent, isn't it? Where it is? Well, yes, it is. It's uh, particularly if you approach the area from, um, oh, near the no. shrine. No, sort, well, it's sort of Birdwood Avenue. Yes, yeah, from Birdwood Avenue, yeah. and it's uh, just along. It's one of the gates along that side of the Botanic Gardens, the south side. Uh, there'll be signs up and directions for there and it's from 10 a.m till 4 p.m on saturday 10 a.m until 3 p.m on sunday Mm -hmm. and there will be credit card facilities for people uh, and a lot of enthusiastic helpers ready to give them some advice and some assistance so uh, we look forward to seeing everybody there it'd be great to see everybody back again for sure is there an entry fee no entry fee. Yep. No, not at all. Yep. You so just, just pay for the plants. Come in and feel inspired, wander yep, around, exactly. get yes. some plants. Are there any plants which are popular sort of year in, year out that you sell well, out of it, quickly? Well, it varies a bit, although we do have a wonderful collection of Varea rhododendrons mm-hmm. and they seem to be very popular. Uh, there's always a, a fairly limited amount of those, so they tend to go quickly. Uh, there's some wonderful array of succulents. There's certainly quite a lot of um, perennials still in flower, including a, a variety of salvias and penstemons. Um, what else? Oh, tibishinas are looking oh, particularly yes. good in the nursery at the yep. moment amongst the shrubs. Mm-hmm. So there's there's a good variety of things. And, of course, what I didn't mention the first time was our Australian native plants as well. Mm-hmm. There'll be a great selection of those available too. Fantastic. Mm. Any indoor plants? Not a great many. We mm-hmm. are getting more requests for them, so we, we will have to uh, do more in that respect because so many more people of course are living in apartments and so on and don't have room for outdoor plants Mm -hmm. so yes we do have a few but not as many as perhaps we should Mm. but we are endeavoring to do something about that Mm. Mm. and is the are the plants that you grow in autumn different for the ones that are available for the spring or do Uh, they sort of cross over necessarily not necessarily um uh, some things, of course, will look better mm-hmm. in autumn than they do in spring, yeah. uh, especially those that come th- uh, out later. Uh, they always look better in autumn, but then there are other things that, that don't look so good. Uh, I think some of our hostas um, uh, suffer from both ends of the okay. spectrum because yeah. sometimes they're not totally up for the spring sale and 
they may have disappeared by the autumn scale. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> so, so uh, yes, in that respect, um, yes, there are some differences. And that one sort of falls into both categories, yeah. Yeah. Oh, very good. So it'll obviously be a very busy couple of days. It will indeed. And you and hope to get rid of everything. we set up on Friday, but yep. we don't sell anything until the Saturday. Mm-hmm. So 10 a.m. on Saturday and Sunday until 4 on Saturday until 3 on on Sunday. Excellent. How do you mm. choose what plants to propagate and sell? Uh, well, we like to have a variety, both in um, sizes, colours and where they go, shade, sun lovers, whatever, uh, because people have different conditions that they want to find a plant for. So um, we we keep that in mind. Um, yes, some things will be more popular perhaps one year than they are in it. Another, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's very hard to tell, of course, what some people will want or what they don't want. Yes, yes, <laughs> but yeah, I think uh, we all run that problem or have that problem. Yeah, yeah. and what about um, what's the sort of percentage between cutting grown and seed grown plants? Uh, most I would say would be cutting grown. Yeah, there are, of course, seed grown ones, um, but I think most of them are probably cuttings mm-hmm. or divisions. Yeah. yeah, and you take your material from the gardens? Yes, yeah. on the whole we do. Mostly yeah. we do. Yeah. There are, are some things that um, some of us bring in that we found particularly interesting or of good value and we'll bring those in uh, and grow them on to sell. Uh, but most of the uh, material is taken from the gardens. Mm. Yeah. Excellent. Mm. Oh, it sounds like it's going to be a good weekend. I certainly hope so. Yes. And <laughs> can people uh, get a plant list or is it just sort of lob yes. up on the day? Oh, you uh, can. Yes, we do have a catalogue. Uh, what I've brought in here is merely a draft copy. Yeah. Uh, but, we, yes, there will be catalogues available at the, at the plant sale. But, actually, the catalogue goes online um, probably – Maybe from tomorrow, I'm not sure exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yes, it should be available very soon online on the Fred Friends website uh, and people will be able to have a look for that online. And then, of course, they can look and pick and choose what they, they want prior to coming to the sale. Very clever. But it is first in Best Dressed. Yeah, that's yeah. fair enough. And it's pay with uh, credit card. You can. Can you pay with yes. cash as well? Yes, you can. Yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. got it all covered. We certainly hope so. Excellent. So I know there's a lot of different friends groups at the Royal Botanic Gardens. And um, how many people are in the Growing Friends group? Uh, well, the Growing Friends, I think we operate somewhere between 25 and 30 people. Mm-hmm. Uh, it varies a bit. Um, people go away on holidays and stuff. Uh, so there may be less at some times and more at others. Uh, at sale time, of course, we expect everybody to be there to yep. help out and and contribute. But um, yes, it's basically about that. That's as much as we can comfortably handle. If there's too many more people, there's no bench space for them to work at. Uh, so yeah, it makes it a bit more difficult. Yeah. And so, do you have like a waiting list for people who want to join yes, the growing friends? Yes, yeah. we have had almost from the beginning of waiting list. Uh, and we've been going now for over 30 years. Mm. So, uh, yes, we've most of the, that time we've had a waiting list of people who want to join, which is wonderful. Uh, and eventually 
they are invited in yep. when we have someone who's not able to be with us any longer. Yep, yep. Yeah. Fantastic. We mm. must have some skilled propagators. Yeah. Uh, yes, I think we do. Yeah. We certainly do, yes. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, is, absolutely. Is Sasha one of the... Um, oh, just for the um, friends of Burnley, I was just reading out a um, a community announcement before, and yeah. Sasha, I forget her surname. Apparently, she's a a gun gun propagator. I just wondered if there was some crossover at all. No, I don't know Sasha. Yeah, yeah no, she's okay. obviously not a member of the Growing Friends. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Well. Or maybe she'd like to be. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a good recruit. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and so, how long have you been involved with the Growing Friends? Uh, since the beginning. Oh, goodness, mm. which is? Um, 1989, 88, 89. Can't remember now. It's a long time, yep. That's incredible. Mm. Well done. Thank you. Yeah. So, and <laughs> well, what, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. And what's your role? To, and what's the sort of um, week-to-week um, goings-on for the Growing Friends? Well, we meet on Fridays mm-hmm. um, and we spend generally about four hours there. Um, there is a... There are various groups within it. We have groups with we have sections like perennials, trees and shrubs, succulents, bulbs, Australian natives, etc. And we have groups of people who work within those sections. Yeah. Uh, we also do some propagating with the um, Royal Botanic Gardens gardening staff. Yeah. Who are very very supportive of us. Uh, they certainly help us when we set up for the sale uh, and we reward them with a, 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 a beautiful morning tea on these occasions. So, uh, so yes, there are various groups. So there's, that's the main part, um, the, the group that goes off and does the propagating. We also propagate within uh, the Growing Friends ourselves because some things are are relatively easy to propagate mm-hmm. and don't need special conditions. So we can do those ourselves. And, uh, yeah, I suppose that's basically what we do. Yeah. Do you yeah. propagate for the garden as well? Yes. Uh, the garden staff often come in and, and say they would like to have some of our stock for their various areas, which we are very happy, of course, of course. Yeah. Uh, to give them. So, yes, yeah. we do do okay, that. Okay, that's great. Yeah. 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 Mm. I, I was I was actually thinking that you are a real um addition to the whole botanic gardens really. They'd be loving having you around. <laughs> and obviously do because you're still there. Yeah. Well thank you. Yes, well I certainly hope so. But we do have a special relationship with the gardeners mm. and they're very supportive of us mm. and and uh, we are more than willing to help them. Yeah. Mm. All right. Well, um, I've got a couple of text messages that have come through. Um, so I'll just read those out. Uh, hi, everyone. I have access to a huge amount of fresh pine sawdust. Can I use this as a mulch on the veggie garden beds in the place of sugarcane mulch? Hmm. I, would. I would prefer it aged. Mm, I wouldn't worry as long as you put some food down underneath it. Yeah. yeah, I'd think it well it's resinous pine. So I, I think I'd be careful. I'd like to see it aged. It's certainly used with blood and bone. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Yeah. 
but and and it could also become hydro a bit hydrophobic depending on how it, you it, used it. It's actually yeah. depending also on how fine it is mm. because if it's really really fine, it's, it's actually just not going to let anything through. If it's yeah. got, sawdust mm. is yep. problematic, probably yeah. sawdust is what you put on the yeah. path. Yeah, I was going to say great for paths yeah. where yeah. no yeah. weeds can grow through. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, so use it uh, judiciously. I, yes. I would, I would suggest. Yeah. Look, I'm a believer in using what's available. Yep. Yep. But it might be better aged. Let sit round for a while, three mm. months or so. Yep. Mm. Yep. Let it age, leach out any stuff that might affect other plants. Yeah, especially because mm. it's veggies rather than yes. Yeah. In a, in the sugarcane mulch would be. Better if you, if the person who's um, asked that question wants to use it immediately. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. good. Um, someone says good convo about rock placement. Japanese designers are incredible at this. So true. Yeah. The Australian Cloud Forest by Andrea Proctor, Sandra Swartz, and myself. And I'm not sure who myself is, is going to have some amazing rock placement. Very exciting. Okay, so look forward to more information on that and who myself is. I'm not exactly sure. Um, and we've also got a message from Encouraging Women in Horticulture. Uh, they are hosting a, ooh, this is exciting, um, a mushroom growing webinar. It will be an introduction to mushroom growing being run by the MYCO, as in M-Y-C-O, Community Applied Mycology, to be held on Tuesday the 10th of May from 7 till 8.30 p.m. This will be an introductory talk about how to grow mushrooms ourselves, focusing on methods which don't require expensive equipment or a science background. Now, I don't have any other information on that, annoyingly, but I would say if you go to the Encouraging Women in Horticulture um, website, you'll be able to get more information there. Do women need encouraging in horticulture? They do. <laughs> do they? they? Do. Yeah, they do, they do Craig. We I would all, say a we, large percentage of my customers are women. We all need mm. encouraging. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's more encouraging women in horticulture in business, okay. let's say, yeah. rather than yep. specifically to get out into the garden and drink wine and prune something. <laughs> I definitely don't need encouragement in that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, very good. Well, this is the 3CR Gardening Show. I'm A.B. Bishop and I'm in the studio with three fantastic people, Lucille Strachan from the Growing Friends Royal Botanic Gardens Victoria, Loretta Childs, landscaper, and from Gentiana Nursery, Craig Wilson. Um, so I... Yes, um, I should give out the phone numbers, etc. If people would like to ring in, we do have a uh, phone interview with someone at 8.30. Uh, that'll probably go for about 10 minutes, so there'll be a bit of um, time in between there. So the phone number to talk to us on air is 94190155. If you want to send through a text, it's 0488 809 855. So if you have a garden question or a comment, we would love to hear from you. So, Craig, why don't we get to one or two of your plants? You always bring in the You know, I, I started, started growing begonia for the indoor plant people, but increasingly I'm interested in what they're going to do in the garden. <laughs> Obviously, I keep the canes and the spotty ones and everything for 
the indoor plant people, but there is a whole raft of shrub-like begonia, which are really good garden plants. Mm-hmm. And I think underused, and people in Melbourne don't seem to know about them. Um, this one I found in a garden in Hawthorne, and it would have been as old as the house, which was a 19th century house. It was a huge clump, and it's mm. begonia shafii. <laughs> And it's growing in my Alinda garden beautifully. Mm-hmm. Yeah, despite snow and yeah, mm-hmm. all the other things. Beautiful big hairy leaves, hirsute yeah. leaves that are deeply veined, um, red red canes, and, and a profusion of soft pink flowers, and dry shade. Mm-hmm. They don't need water. Yep. Yeah, it's terrific. So what is that one? Shafi eye. Shafi eye. Yeah. And how big does that one grow? Um, I would say 1.2 metres. Oh, okay. So yeah. that's a decent... They're all a decent size. Yeah. yeah. So not too overwhelming then? Not too overwhelming, no. Yeah. What's but... so great about begonias? Look, I, I was looking for something to grow for indoor plant people mm-hmm. because every second person that walks in the nursery now yep. wants it. I didn't want to grow monsteria or, you know, peperomia. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I wanted something that was going to be of interest to me as well. Yep. And a huge genus like begonia is bound to have something of interest. Yeah. Yeah, there's 2,000 species. And that's, you know, hybrids on top of that. So mm. it's enormous. Yep. Yeah. So how do you narrow it down? Um, what you can find, yep. what grows in a linder, because yep. you know, it's pretty marginal mm-hmm. for those sort of plants, um, and what sells. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and a shrub like this one, um, Shafii, is uh, what about looking after it in respect to pruning it? or Because, I mean, begonias, you can sort of cut down and they come up again. You and can cut them to the ground so if you want. Fabulous and mm. tough. Aren't yeah, they? yeah, yeah. My grandmother was a huge begonia person, and mm-hmm. um, I always, if, as soon as you came in, I thought of my grandmother, and <laughs> which is always the beauty of gardening. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. There's yes. another one here, Angularis, which is a cane begonia, and you can't really see the silver in here, but the leaf has a real silver tinge to it, and oh. it's heavily veined again. And misshapen, very interesting. Always asymmetrical. Yeah, yeah, you can see it with this one too. Okay. Oh, so as in begonias, always. Always. Oh, that would have to be a feature in itself. Yeah. Quite delightful. Um, And and Angularis. Look, I reckon it would be fantastic trained over a um, an archway. It Mm. it it, it has the potential to get quite big. Mm -hmm. I don't let that happen because Mm. you know space is allotted. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But. Yeah, it's a beauty. I've got it planted with Astelia in, in the shade garden. They look nice together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, they would. Interesting yeah. contrast. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And this one, I have a collection of small-flowered camellia, and it oh. reminds me of camellias. Yes. Um, Echinocephala is the species. Um, long, narrow, dark green leaves, as you would expect with the camellia species, Mm -hmm. and little white flowers Mm. with yellow stamens. Mm. Any fragrance? No, no. No. But it's a nice one. Mm. That's very pretty. Yeah, Mm. uh, Yeah. and for me, white flowers with yellow stamens always gets a gong. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Um, So this one really fits the bill. And again, I suspect it has the potential to get quite big if you let it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, dry shade again? Dry shade. Yeah, which, I mean, this is a fantastic thing, isn't it? Yes, there's so much. Where you just need those spots. So many people who need 
dry yeah. shade plants. And and yes. within the city, I mean, not indoor, but there's, you know, big buildings mm. and, right. and, you know, you get all these, you know, the rain is never going mm. to get against that if you've got something yeah. two-storey. Mm. So, yeah. I had a client in Alinda who had begonia shafii growing in a pot at his front door and he told me that he hadn't potted it for 30 years. What? <laughs> it was when I started working for him, it was looking a bit thin and miserable. <laughs> I gave it a feed yeah. and off it went. Mm. Yeah. 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 So it gives you, you don't need to repot them, Gosh. basically, mm. yeah, if you're growing them yes. in tubs. Yeah. And it hadn't set roots out through the pot no, into no, the ground? No. Hmm. Seemingly living on the smell of an oily rag. Mm. Okay. Yeah. So... I know a tiny bit about begonias mm. and the loosely two groups, correct? Three, Three or more. Three, oh, well, yeah, okay. yeah. I know even less. Cane, cane rhizome, shrub-like, and okay. and then there's the um, tuberous ones. Okay. Yeah, which I don't deal with okay. unless they're species. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So could you give us a quick snapshot of the differences and why we might grow them or not grow them or? The, the cane begonias are the ones I think which people probably associate mostly with the genus, mm-hmm. with spotty leaves and mm. pink or white flowers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, the cane begonias for me are completely deciduous in the winter, mm-hmm. so they're just basically just stems. Yeah, yeah, and then they start growing actually quite late in the spring. Um, the rhizomous begonias for me go right down again in the winter. Mm. The rhizomous ones are the ones which you would propagate with leaves. Okay. Yeah, not yep. not the canes. The canes will make roots from leaves, but they will never make canes. Okay. The, the roots will okay. just sit there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And the shrub-like ones, there are a whole raft of them, which you know I've yet really to discover. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the, the person, I get them off a, a friend in Ferntree Gully, and she has a lot of them in her garden. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting with big leaves. Yeah. yeah. And are they all for sort of dry, shady conditions or some of them can really cope with the blasting sun? No, 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 no sun. No. They're all okay. forest floor plants, okay. basically. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and they don't like to be continually wet. Mm-hmm. If I'm repotting a batch of begonia and there's one in the batch which looks really healthy... It will be bone dry. Mm. Yeah. So with begonia, you soak them and then you let them dry right out mm-hmm. before you water them again. Okay, that's yeah, yeah good to know. Would yeah. you say they're a good beginner plant? I would say they. Or well, <laughs> I, I guess that's very general, isn't be, it? Be, Given be, there's be, so many. Beginners tend to water too much, and they tend to give mm. things small amounts of water regularly, which is absolutely wrong. Yeah. Yeah, it's a soak infrequently. Mm-hmm. Is how you, and I think that's the same with all indoor plants, actually. I've been mm. experimenting so I can advise people yeah. Yeah, as to how to grow them. Syngonium is one I really like. There's mm-hmm. some nice syngoniums. They're really easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've got no idea what they are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll look them up. Syngonium. Yeah. yeah. So that's the genus, is it? It's the genus, yeah. yeah. Okay. That, that um, what do they call the, the Goosefoot or? What's that one, that indoor one, fig, the um, fiddle? Oh, ficus lorata. Yeah, the ficus. Yeah. They yeah. die, don't they? Well, I think, you know. I'm not <laughs> no, the, they're <laughs> ones which you do not water. Yeah. Like you could give that a thimble full of water mm. every six months and I think it would still look amazing. Yeah. They, they are quite incredible. Yeah. So there would be another case of watering and then, and then drying them right out. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And it's, particularly when you're dealing with tropicals, 
you have to understand the rainfall climate in the areas that they come from, which is a summer rain. So in the winter, it's very important that they're really dry. Yeah. 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 Yes, that's true. Do you have ficus demeropsis at the uh, friend's ale? Uh, I don't think so. I'll have a little look. Uh, this catalogue isn't definitive. Well, while, um, while you're doing that, Lucille, I'll mm-hmm. just mention that uh, Roger Elliott rang in oh, or yes. texted us in <laughs> just to uh, remind me to remind uh, listeners that the plant sale is the um, Melbourne one and not the Cranbourne one. That's so don't right. head down to Cranbourne. It is the one that's at the Royal Botanic Gardens in Melbourne. Yes. So um, Indeed yes. it is, yep. yes. The ficus demeropsis is one of is a New Guinea fig. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, we don't have. It I know on it's this in list. the gardens. Mm. And yes. it, it grows quite high in, yeah. in the mountains in New Guinea, so it's tolerant of a fair bit of cold. Right. Yeah. yeah. All right, guys. Well, um, early this morning, I mentioned that we will be uh, chatting with somebody, uh, a special guest, and we all know how lovely it is to be connected with nature and how good we feel when we're in the garden or exploring the bush. And a number of years ago now, environmental researchers worldwide became aware that there was an untapped resource of enthusiastic nature observers who could be called upon to share their observations and contribute to the knowledge base in a way that researchers weren't able to alone. These days, citizen scientists play a huge role in contributing to scientific research, which can impact government policy with the observations, but also because it shows governments the level of interest that people have. And with us today is Doug Evans from the Maroondah City Council, who is helping to coordinate Melbourne's participation in the annual global citizen science event called City Nature Challenge. Good morning, Doug. Good morning, everyone. Ah, lovely to have you on the show. You're out at Christmas Hills, aren't you? I certainly am. Nice morning uh, out there. Oh, it's a little overcast, a little cool, but um, it's always lovely in Christmas Hills. It's Christmas every day. day. (laughs) Fantastic, (laughs) fantastic. So not snowing every day, etc. No. (laughs) Oh, good. Hey, look, uh, thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about the City Nature Challenge. Could you maybe just explain a little bit about what what it's all about and what all the fuss is about? Sure. Look, it's... It's an annual global citizen science event. So you introduced the idea of citizen science where, you know, everyday people can get out and collect data on, uh, or biological data in this case, um, effectively. But it's it's cities across the world compete in a very friendly way um, to see who can uh, win the most points, I guess. And, that, and those... Um, Numbers that they are competing are how many cities can make the most, or which cities can make the most observations, which cities can observe the most different species, and which cities can engage the most people in making observations. So, when you were talking about biological data, you're meaning things like um, birds and insects and plants, that sort of thing. Very much so. Yeah. So it's it's basically making observations of different. Uh, wild plants, animals, fungi. Mm-hmm. And how are you involved in the program? Um, so I work for Moon City Council, and uh, last the last year's challenge in 2021, uh, a neighbour, a colleague in a neighbouring council said, "We're thinking of going into this. Anybody else interested?" 
Um, so I thought this sounds good. So I helped um, coordinate with some neighbouring or colleagues in neighbouring councils to work together, and we together represented, at the time it was Eastern Melbourne, um, in the City Nature Challenge. So it was the first time for all of us to get involved, and that was last year. And then everybody felt it was a success, so we're going again this year. Fantastic. And where and when did it all start? So it started, it's basically an event coordinated by the California Academy of Sciences and the Los Angeles County Natural History Museum. Mm-hmm. They first ran it in 2016, and it was literally just between two cities, Los Angeles and San Francisco. Um, they still had a pretty high participation rate back then, but it's grown exponentially since then. Um, last year, 2021, 419 cities from 44 different countries participated. Fantastic. Yeah, and over 52,000 people actually making observations. Oh, fantastic. And I notice that there's a few um, other groups around the country um, that are participating as well. We've got the uh, Redland City in Queensland, Greater Sydney, then there's the Greater Melbourne Group, a Geelong Group and Greater Adelaide Group as well. That's correct. So So I think um, that's right. So it's not just Melbourne. Literally last year was the first time Melbourne had been represented um, and this year we're, um, we're recruited more, more councils across metropolitan Melbourne to see if we can uh, represent Melbourne even more strongly this year. Okay, so how does it actually work? So effectively it, it works by encouraging everyday people to make observations of nature and record those observations in a um, a citizen science platform. The most commonly used one globally is called Mm -hmm. iNaturalist, and that's the one the Greater Melbourne um, collaboration is using. So we encourage people to download that onto their phone or create an account on the website and then go out, take photographs or sound recordings of all the different plants, animals and fungi that they can find during the four days of the challenge. Mm, goodness, you wouldn't have to go very far. You could literally step out your back door and start recording. Absolutely. And you know, your garden is a very, very good place to start. There's plenty of stuff happening in your garden. You could record and contribute uh, to the challenge. Mm. Uh, I will point out, though, that um, the observations they want are of wild plants, animals and fungi. So we're, we're trying to avoid anything that's been planted or is captive or like a pet dog or a pet cat. Mm-hmm. Um, anything you've planted in your garden. Um, although you can you can include those, but we ask you to mark them or label them as captive or cultivated. Oh, I see. So, but things like insects that come into your garden, that's um, perfectly fine. Absolutely. Um, yeah, definitely birds, insects, anything else that, that comes to your garden or appears in your garden um, without having been placed there by a human, all the better. Okay. And how are points allocated? Like, is it one point per observation? Yep. So every observation a person makes um, in iNaturalist during the four days within the project area, in this case it's 
all of Greater Melbourne, all of Metropolitan Melbourne. Um, that will count towards the number of observations. Every different species that all the observers make count towards the number of species. And obviously, <clears throat> as a participant, if you are an observer and you make an observation, you count as one of the observers. Okay, okay. So when you are in iNaturalist and you just say you've taken a photo of a magpie and you've yep. put it up there, do you then have to select that you're part of the Greater Melbourne recording group? Uh, no, but on the assumption that you've got location turned on your phone, mm-hmm. um, when you're using the app, it'll add the location automatically, it'll add the date and time automatically. Uh, if that location falls within the Greater Melbourne metropolitan area that has been set up as a project in iNaturalist, it will automatically count. You don't have to join the project at all. You're okay. most welcome to. Yep. Um, but just as long as it's within the four days, these are the parameters set up in the iNaturalist project, except for the four days, except for a geographic area of metropolitan Melbourne. So you make an observation during those four days within that area, it counts. Okay, and what if you've got, for example, every morning we probably have 60 cockies descending on the property. Do you count yep. them as a group or do you count them individually? Um, I think if you wanted to, you could go and observe each one. Each observation you put into iNaturalist is one observation. Mm-hmm. So if you take a photo of one cocky, um, that will count. If you go and go ahead and add another observation of a cocky next to it, yep. that will also count. Okay. It won't count for any more species, it won't count for any more observers, but it will count as an additional observation. Mm, good to know. Mm. Good to know. And when are the four days, Doug? The four days start next Friday, Friday the 29th of April, and go through to Monday the 2nd of May. Okay, and is it sort of uh, broken up at all? Like, do you just take it however many photos you can and, and just upload them? Yep, so if, you, if you're doing it in the uh, app on your phone, um, basically whenever it gets the chance, it'll sync automatically um, to the cloud. You can take photos um, with a digital SLR, for example, and then upload them uh, later on the through the website, the web platform. Uh, as long as you do that before the 8th of April um, and as long as the photo was taken during the four days, they May. all count. 8th of May. 8th of May. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Okay, and um, what was I going to say? What was I going to ask? Something very important. Um, I can't remember. So, AB, it's sort of collated and then it goes to a central database. What's... I'm just wondering yeah, about all of the that. I, the platform is the um, the online database. Uh, one important thing that all the iNaturalist data is also uh, synced to the Atlas of Living Australia database as well. So you're contributing to the Australian um, database of plants and animals as well just by adding your data through iNaturalist. Okay, and is this something that scientists around the world can just sort of tap into and examine the data? Most definitely. And possibly one of the questions you were thinking of asking was um, the identification of what you've observed. Yes, it was. Um, Because you can put something in if you 
you can leave it um, unidentified. Um, that will just leave it as a unidentified observation. Mm-hmm. It's far preferable to make an identification to the extent that you are confident. So if you saw a cocky but you don't know what species it was, um, but you do know it's a bird, so you could call it a bird. Yep. And that, that will then tag your observation as a bird and there are thousands and thousands of, of uh, amateur and professional naturalist scientists um, online as part of the iNaturalist community. Many of those are birdos and they will... Um, there's a fair chance that they will notice that, OK, a bird's been uploaded, I can go have a look. I'll add my identification to that. Um, once in iNaturalist, once a an observation has got two-thirds or more agreement of um, independent three, you know, as in three different people, mm-hmm. two of at least three different people um, have agreed on, on the identification, it, um, that observation gets tagged as what's called research grade. So there are observations in there that um, if they've got research grade, they're the ones that the scientists will look for. Okay. They've been independent, independently verified by others on the Okay, fantastic. I noticed I hopped onto the um, now, which was the website where I found there's a there's I think it's the one that you work for the Maroondah City Council where there's a you can download a booklet on how to use iNaturalist. Yep. So um, there's 21 councils collaborating this year to represent Greater Melbourne, and together we've been putting putting out a, a variety of um, resources, I guess, that can help people learn how to use iNaturalist, how to download it. Uh, so Marunda certainly had a basic guide. This is how you download the app. Mm-hmm. This is how you make an observation. And here's some tips on making good observations. We've also got um, a number of the other councils have organised uh, a couple of online webinars mm-hmm. uh, coming up this week, uh, which, again, is about how to use iNaturalist. But it's importantly, they've got um, some different uh, people with expertise in different parts of nature, in different aspects of nature, who are going to also provide some guidance on how to make a, a good quality observation such that it is identifiable by others. And that's, that's pretty important too. That's, how that's you get probably research. take a photo in focus is probably number one on the list. It, it's a good, <laughs> yep, not blurry, in focus, up close, yep. Yep. <laughs> not too dark. Yeah. Not overexposed, all those sorts of things. But but it's also different angles. Um, try and get the, the distinguishing features. So on a plant, you, know, you guys will know the flower, the seed, the leaf, the form of the plant. All of those are pretty important to help identify. So try and get as many of those different parts um, in your observation. Okay. And it's just worth worth noting you can you can have more than one photograph. Um, in in a single observation, so you can include different photos from different angles as part of that observation. Okay, that sounds good. I noticed the webinars which are free. Uh, so one's yep. on Tuesday the twenty sixth from six twenty five till eight, and that one's called the Small and Mighty Micro World. And another one is on Wednesday the 27th, uh, 6.25 till 8 p.m., Leaves, Feathers and Scales, the Macro World. So within those, um, 
it sounds like that people are given expertise on those particular areas, but then also how to use iNaturalist. Is that correct? That is exactly correct. Um, so the small and mighty will have a uh, how to use iNaturalist, but also have a focus on fungi and insects. Yep. Um, the leaves, feathers and scales almost speaks for itself. It's, uh, have a focus on plants, birds, reptiles and frogs. Oh, fantastic. Sounds really good, Doug. And I know you are helping coordinate the Christmas Hills group, is that correct? Yes, I'm encouraging our Christmas Hills Landcare group to um, get out there and make as many observations as they can. We, um, we did participate in, a, in the Southern Hemisphere equivalent last year mm-hmm. uh, called the Great Southern Bioblitz. So that's, that's run in the Southern Hemisphere spring, whereas obviously the City Nature Challenge which is run out of the United States, is run in their spring, so not not as optimal for us as it is for them. Mm, yeah. Um, but we had a we had fun playing in the Great Southern Bioblitz last year, which was October, and that was an, a four day event, very very similar. Yeah. Um, and we've got a few of our members now hooked on using iNaturalist, um, myself included. No, it's, it sounds sounds really good, Doug. And I know that there's uh, groups like uh, Scouts Victoria have also got a group, but you don't obviously have to be part of a group. You can just go on and, and log as an individual. Is that correct? That's right. You don't have to um, don't have to do anything other than start recording observations in iNaturalist during the four days within metropolitan Melbourne. Um, but I should point out, as you say. There's 21 councils working together mm-hmm. to, to sort of represent Melbourne, but we're also working with the Field Naturalist Club of Victoria, the Entomological Society of Victoria and Scouts Victoria. So Fantastic. we're all working together uh, to promote it as widely as we can. Uh, can I ask just, AB, uh, I was thinking about the fact that we aren't in the spring and, I mean, being a Christmas Hills person myself, uh, looking at our natives um, in respect to wildflowers mm-hmm. and orchids, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and we're not in spring. So, is it possible that uh, recording? I mean, we've got this four days; it's a challenge. But in general, that um, that website or whatever it is, the Nat- iNaturalist, can you um, add to that at any time of year? Uh, you can certainly add to iNaturalist any time of year, and um, so there are numerous projects set up in iNaturalist and for example we've got one set up for the Christmas Hills Landcare Group um, that has no no time bound on it so it's just called Nature in Christmas Hills it, um, the, the geographic boundary is the area of our Landcare Group and every observation ever made in iNaturalist by anyone within that geographic area appears in that project so um, you don't the City Nature Challenge is a great way to introduce people to using iNaturalist. For sure. Yeah, yeah fantastic. You can, mm. you can keep using it. That data is, goes to the Atlas of Living Australia, irrespective of when it was collected. Okay. Um, yep. so. That sounds great. And, Doug, is there anything that we would need to know? Like if someone wants to get involved, what's the first step for them? Uh, look, I think, well, if, if you're unsure what to do, certainly download iNaturalist. Start, get, start getting familiar with using it now. So, you know, observations you make right now still get added to iNaturalist. They still get added to the Atlas of Living Australia. If it's in Christmas Hills, it goes into nature in Christmas Hills. Um, and then during the four days, 
spend as much time as you feel you like and want to making observations of the different plants and animals and fungi you can find, whether it's in your garden, whether it's in your street, whether it's in your nearby park, wherever it happens to be, um, and just enjoy doing that. Then you will be... Um, you might be pleasantly surprised um, how quickly somebody jumps onto your observation, has a look at it, uh, and helps identify it. Fantastic. All right, Doug, well, we should probably let you go. So thank you so much for chatting with us this morning and uh, let's hope our figures for the City Nature Challenge are really good from next week. Yes, let's let's hope. Um, I can can add that um, the Melbourne representation last year finished 41st out of 419. We're hoping we can move up the ladder at some <laughs> All right. The, cha- the challenge is there, so we'll all That's get onto right. it. All right, Doug. Well, have a lovely day. Thanks for chatting. Thanks, everyone. All right. Bye for now. That was Doug Evans talking about the Citizen Science event, the City Nature Challenge, which is coming up next week. So uh, I know there is a website called City Nature Challenge, so you can hop onto that if you need more information or you can go to the iNaturalist website and that um, you'll also be directed to the challenge from there if you want more info. So very good. Mm. So, Loretta. Yeah. Did you bring in some plants? I think you did. I really, what I mentioned before, just the uh, the Banksia marginata, mm-hmm. which is just a lovely little thing, and um, mine is now a couple of metres high at least, if not two and a half metres. Uh, they generally, they're a lovely small shrub um, that you can have in any garden, mm-hmm. um, and, and they're a beautiful filler shrub because mm-hmm. they're not a big tree, they're, they're really bushy all the way down to the bottom. Yep. Um, they, of course, have the beautiful flower, which it, mine is flowering madly at the moment, which mm. is that beautiful Banksia cone, um, which is nice and warm and honey sort of coloured, a bit yellowy and little dark, um, dark little bits out of the sides. It's got the leaf, which is a little bit serrated but fine mm. um, and has a beautiful underbelly, which... So many do with the um, banksias. The so silver, it's silver a silver, yeah, yeah, that lovely green, and they're just beautiful, yeah. And uh, the birds love them. Mm, and I everything can else, yeah, yeah, beautiful. Just that one. Mm. All right. So I just wanted to. Someone has sent a text in. Good morning. Thank you for a great program. Could Craig please talk more about feeding the garden in autumn and the suitability of using liquid feed? And that's Jack. Um, <clears throat> well, I'm a perennial feeder, but autumn's the heavy heavy feeding season mm-hmm. because plants are in the autumn making buds for next year's growth. Mm-hmm. So the deciduous trees, if they're dropping their leaves, it doesn't mean they've stopped growing. Mm-hmm. The, the The buds are all setting for next year. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's also, the, for me, the fall, <laughs> the American term, which I now understand... Um, it's three months of leaf cleanup. <laughs> so, so what I do is I will put down whichever fertilizer I'm using, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as long as it's organic. I don't think it matters yep. which one you use. Mm-hmm. And then I'll put the leaves on top of that, mm-hmm. and then I'll put some wood chip on top of the leaves mm-hmm. to hold them down. 
nice brew. No wonder your garden thrives. Well, I think this is just basic good gardening practice. Yeah. I think that there are not many gardeners who feed enough. Yeah. Yeah. And the same can be said for natives as well. People put that sort of feeding natives into the category, oh, they don't really need a lot. But honestly, sure, maybe they don't, but they respond really well most of them when they are given a feed. Of course. Mm. And the only, only thing with natives is to understand proteaceae. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, feed away. I mean, yep. I know I've been growing natives as bonsai for many years and I feed them at the same rate that I feed the exotics, mm-hmm. which is weekly. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And they hop away. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it, it's across the board. The perennials, I feed them an enormous amount. They're mm-hmm. hungry. And if you want the best performance out of them, they need feeding. Yep. Yeah. And feeding feeding can it, it can take on a whole range of, of um, appliances. I mean, in a sense, mulching is feeding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Um, certainly the leaf mould is feeding. Yeah. Liquid feeding, look, I have a bucket next to every tap in my garden and in that bucket I have whichever pelletised manure I'm using and yep. water. Yep. Yeah. And, yeah, that just gets distributed. That's a great idea because it's also a reminder, isn't it? Because sometimes right. time passes so quickly and before you know it, six months have gone and you haven't done any feeding. Yep. Whereas if you've got that visual reminder there... Yeah. That could be quite useful. Yep, you should also have a, a liquid fertiliser next to every tap, whether it mm. be sea salt, sea salt power feed, yep. go-go juice, Charlie Carp, whatever. Yep. I don't mm. think it matters. But not if you've got cockies in the garden because they will literally come along and open it for you. Uh-huh. <laughs> they they are so clever, those guys. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. And they, they're vandals, I'm afraid they are, to say. Yes, yes. yes. Oh. But they're very cute vandals. No. Yes. No, they're not. No. <laughs> they do so much damage. They, they absolutely they can. they don't care. No, <laughs> that, that's right. They don't I'm care. I'm afraid I have a... Rather specific opinion of yes. cockies. They all know me. So I walk out the front door and they take off. Yep. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Why? What do you do to them, Craig? Um, throw pebbles at them. Okay. <laughs> look, look, I don't have an objection to them. I think yep. they're incredibly beautiful. Yeah. And I mm. wouldn't have, I wouldn't be without them. But they do like the magnolia flower buds. Oh, and I don't like them liking the magnolia yeah, flower, no. yeah. <laughs> so that's our battle. Yeah, yeah. throwing a pebble—I I don't well, think when that, I was that's a good pl- way. Planting up my, some of my garden, they would just come down and decimate it. They literally chopped off um, uh-huh. an agapanthus. Literally took it right off back to the soil. Mm. A young plant. Uh, they decimated and killed an ophophia. Uh, they, I wonder if they really meant to, but they attacked a euphorbia mm. and then went, I think they discovered that the sticky stuff on their beak wasn't very nice. Mm. So they then went off to my virginias and, and chewed the leaves, probably to help wash it off, I reckon. Um, yes, I, I, I'm not enamoured of um, sulphur-crested cockatoos. Mm. I, I feel like whenever there's something new in the garden, they come to check it out because <laughs> yes. I planted yes, a, well a, an acacia scarlet blaze last year. Oh, no, yes. Actually, a couple of years ago now, but last year was the first sort of flowering season and it obviously hadn't been in the garden mm. before. Birds see red very, very well and it got decimated mm. by the cockies specifically. Mm. But n- now, I mean, it's been there now 
and for for months and months and they haven't even blinked at it. So mm. I really feel yeah. like when there's something new in the environment, it might be bulbs popping up or magnolia flowers oh, yes. appearing, they mm. are very quick to well, notice. Yes, they are, but they're... They also can come back. I mean, a lot of people complain in my area that the bulbs get deadheaded. Well, mm-hmm. not even deadheaded. Oh, totally. They just get yep. their flowers Snipped. chopped off. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, they're like, like the feathered flying deer. Yeah, totally. Well, except that they're native. You have Teenagers to remember, you have of the to remember, skies, I've heard yes. them described yes. as. You have to remember that they're native. Yes. yes. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. But, you know, the other day, working at, well, when I say the other day, it would have been three or four weeks ago, working at Long Acres, down the back there is two enormous Banksia and Tegrafolia, mm-hmm. 100 years old, I would say, big old trees. And I was working under them, and nearby is a dead blackwood. Mm-hmm. And that dead blackwood was full of gang-gang cockatoos. Mm-hmm. Now, I mm-hmm. normally only see them in threes and fours yes. or a pair. Yes. This would have been 20 or 30, yes. full of them, and they were yelling at me. <laughs> Endless, and as soon as they got up and moved away, they all came into the banks here. Yes, oh, yeah. okay, yeah. 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 yeah, but I've never seen them in a flock. Interesting, mm. yeah. yeah, but obviously appreciating the banks here. They love yes. the banks here, yeah. 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 Oh dear, all right. So, this is a text from Anne in Heathmont saying, Just a heads up to listeners in Maroondah, sadly, I have just discovered Queensland fruit fly in my Heathmont garden. Mm. Any of us who grow fruit, including tomatoes, will need to be vigilant. Uh, good information on Queensland fruit fly is available online, including from the Keep the Yarra Valley Fruit Fly Free Group. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's definitely oh, – that is yes. – yeah. And I, I think we might need to log sightings. Is that correct? Does anyone know that? That we go no, onto the no. DPI website. Sounds like and log a good in? idea. Mm. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Just to keep a, a sort of track of where they are. Uh, so mm, yeah. With, with the with the feeding, getting back to that again, I also have a fifteen liter backpack sprayer, which is for foliar feeding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, foliar feeding is really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the the thing with liquid feeding that people need to understand is you don't just do it once and walk away. It needs to be continual to get to get a good result from it. Yeah. Once just gives you you know a puff of growth and that's it. Yeah. What do you put in your backpack? One of the commercial ones, not Mm -hmm. not my homemade brew because it would clog it up, (laughs) and then you need to run a bit of water through it or it fills up with algae. (laughs) (laughs) And how often do you do that? When I feel the urge. Yeah. yeah. And when you feel energetic. That's how, right. How many kilos is it? It's a big one. Oh, I don't know. It's 15 yeah. litres. Okay, so yeah. 15 kilos. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the solo backpack sprayer. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The li- yeah, liquid feeding's good. Hmm. Mm. Very good. And what about yourself, Lucille? Tell us a bit about your garden and uh, your well, style. Well, I took on this place all oh, about... 14 odd years ago, mm-hmm. um, virtually no garden at all. And uh, since I'm a passionate plants person, this was, you know, an absolute mecca for me. <laughs> I had ground to play in yep. and reasonably good soil because my previous place was on the side of a hill in New Gisborne and it was stony clay. And, you know, I had to attack it virtually with a pickaxe to get to dig a hole so um, although I made a bit of a garden there and brought on what was there it was lovely to get into some better soil 
and I've had a lot of fun sort of uh, planning the garden, planting it out. I I love my perennials. I love a a mixed garden Mm -hmm. bed, so I have all sorts of trees, shrubs, perennials, bulbs, grasses, all that sort of thing. I have a bit of a passion for salvias, Mm -hmm. but perennials basically. Love them. Yes. Mm, very good. And <laughs> so your garden obviously appreciated the rain. Oh, it certainly did. It yeah. got it was really getting very dry until we had that last lot of rain. It was about two inches where I am. Mm-hmm. So that was really good. Yep. It's of course brought the weeds on beautifully. Yes. But, um, <laughs> which I am struggling to uh, cope with because things have been pretty busy le- of late and there's only me to do this mm-hmm. so um, you're not yes. mulching enough Loretta <laughs> uh, no probably not I, I, you're quite right I did embark on that and what with my children visiting from overseas yeah. where they live both live uh, then I got COVID and then I've got other things you know growing friends and all this other stuff to um in my life so of course you do what you can when you can yeah. but yes I'm running behind a bit at yeah. the moment because but you're we, absolutely right I'm far too lax with my it, um, mulching it's the answer to weeding absolutely there's no yeah, question know, about that I yeah. do know yeah. that and it's obvious from the parts I have mulched yeah and then looking at the par- That's parts right. that aren't mulched it's very telling isn't it it's very mm. telling yeah. yes because yeah. I, I mean, I do long acres, which is six acres, and I do my garden, which is an acre and a quarter. And the yeah. only way that I can control it is by mulching. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Otherwise, it would be a disaster. Yeah. 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 And what do you bring in mulch, or do you yeah, create yeah, yeah, your yeah, own? Constantly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Just wood chip. Yep. Yep. Steaming mm. and fresh doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. No. I've put it on the ground green straight off the back of the truck. Yep. Yeah. Just get it on. Just get it on. Yeah, it's, it's a bit trickier when the weeds are growing up through all the paths, like if you've got the granitic sand, etc. Mm. Yeah. They just mm. keep coming up. Yeah, yeah they do. I yes. mean, this day and age with all the boxes that we use, the cardboard is a fantastic resource. If you don't feel mm. like weeding, mm. you just put the cardboard down and the wood chip on top of it. Yeah, that'll yeah. smother most things. That's right, it yeah. does, yeah. yeah. And and look, I mean, some things, the bulbous weeds, it, it might take two or three mm. applications yep. to get rid of them, but it does. Yeah. 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 Mm. Even your oxalis? Oh, look, some things you just have to live with. You do, <laughs> I agree. I yeah. think that is just something yes. you live yeah. with. Yeah. 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 Mm. Um, how big is your garden, Lucille? I'm on an acre. Oh, lovely. Mm. Yeah. Okay. That would be just have... about enough, wouldn't it? Oh, it is. It's a big area, isn't it? I've got perimeter planting too, which takes probably a couple of, a good maybe two or three metres as well. Uh, And that I try and keep the leaf litter and things under. Although I think the local fire brigade would much prefer that I had concrete from one end of the place to the other. But uh, I'm afraid I'm more interested in looking after my soil and growing interesting things. Mm. Mm. (laughs) So the topography is relatively flat or sloped? Yes, slightly sloped, Mm. Yeah, Mm. which is better than the, the... extreme sort of hillside mm. I was on before. Mm. Yeah, I didn't actually easier. see when you came in. Did you bring plants in? No, I no. didn't. Okay, did no. you have any more to talk about? I Loretta? did just have uh, Rhodia. Let's Vanessa. chat about Rhodia. Well, you know, it's just a gorgeous little thing. It is. A and thing. it's mm. absolutely perimeter plantings. I mean, it's mm. you can shape it, you can do anything you want with it, but beautiful little silver, silver leaves. 
silvery grey. You what know, what was the name? Sorry, uh, Rigodia spinescens. And it's salt bush. So and it's a very fine one, which yeah. is just delightful. Um it's pretty, yes. and I think you can really do it you, you don't really think about the flower. It's you know, insignificant, mm. but it's just all about being able to shape it into whatever you want. So mm. you can have a spread of a couple of metres by a metre, you can pare it right down. Um I know Robert Boyle, he has fabulous um display of that on uh, in Eltham, mm-hmm. uh, which he has been just doing this beautiful pruning of it for many, many years. And it's just spectacular. You go down Broham Street in Eltham and you see this beautiful wavering shape of mm-hmm. um, Rigodia. So mm-hmm. I think it's an absolute ripper. And, and yeah. it's tough and hardy as salt bushes are. But yep. mm. um, the, the finer leaf, I think, is particularly nice. They've, yeah. they've brought out um, a, a few others, um, but the broader leaf, if you don't keep that really tough, uh, really tightly pruned, mm. it will get leggy yep. again. Yeah. So it's, it's, yeah. I think it's a great one. Once again, you know, a native, and you're pruning it like a hedge. Mm. Yeah. And being yep. so silver, really complementary plant for other colours yes. in the garden yeah, as well. Yeah, absolutely. It goes with, goes with anything, really. I think for, for clipping you need fine leaves, yeah, which makes me, makes me question this whole magnolia, evergreen magnolia thing that people are doing with hedges. I mean, they just don't suit clipping. No. Not with those big leaves. That's you right. Be very no. careful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No. Get a ragged and edge. It, yeah, and, and, edge. It be- and becomes woody, so woody looking so easily. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think you have uh, more of a um, an off period when mm-hmm. you prune something large leaf, don't you? Absolutely. Where you you know the finer leaf, you keep it tight, and it's um no terrific, yeah. lovely. Yeah. Both both the the marginata, the banksia, and they're they're common as all get out. Yeah. But Reliable. Super useful, yes. yeah. And the regodia, that's more for a sunny spot, would you say? Lovely oh, sunny yes. spot. Yep. Yep. Mm. Being, being mm. that really silvery grey foliage. Yeah. And loves. you can bring in some lovely burgundies and whatnot, which yeah. once again will take the sun mm-hmm. um, yes. and uh, be very happy. Lovely, lovely in with uh, even some leucodendrons, you know, the beautiful colours in your leucodendrons mm. now. And mm-hmm. yeah. mm. to bring those in and give you some beautiful splashes of colour mm. yeah. and mm. contrast. It yeah. doesn't look like a plant for a linda. <laughs> maybe not. <laughs> Little, maybe too wet. Yes. Yes. Yeah. They do. I mean, the thing with native plants is they certainly do take those dry conditions, but we have to remember that they need that maintenance period of watering them in mm. for at least mm. you know a month, maybe even two months, depending on what it yeah. is, how big it is, etc. Mm. It's come from a nursery, being tender, loving care. Yep. Mm. And um, suddenly we lump it in the ground, but uh, and, and yeah. forget to water it. But yeah, yeah, yeah. really need to. Keep Keep watering. Oh, good. And Craig, do you have any more in your tray of goodies there? Metapanax delavii, which is a huge favourite for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, Flowering now in the autumn, Mm -hmm. sharply palmate leaves, so they're very divided. And at this time of the year, the, the leaves on my one that's growing in the sun can get almost black. So they go really dark, mm-hmm. and then it has these lime green flowers all over it. It's a beauty. Um, Metapanax, if you let it grow, it'll grow to a small tree. Yeah. But loves pruning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do you, how big do you keep yours? Uh, two and a half meters. Yep. With the pole saw. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That that is really pretty leaves. Yeah. Very very pretty. And now, what's uh, your Instagram account? 
Craig. Gentiana Nursery. Gentiana Nursery. Okay, yeah, because yeah, yeah. that was on there, wasn't Probably. it? Probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. a great way of. Um, yeah. I mean, we will um, be giving them to Liz to put up on our socials, but yeah. I, I, I mean, I follow you, and uh, you put up a, a lot of fantastic plants. So it's really great to be able to see them in situ, not just yeah. a cutting of them, just to see what mm. they're doing in the garden That's and how right. you've combined them. Yeah. That sort of thing. You can always tell if I like something because there's more than one. <laughs> oh, oh, is it more than one photo or more than one plant? More than one plant. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, okay. It's difficult being a collector and wanting to have a nice looking garden as well because <laughs> mm-hmm. it can be very spotty. Yeah, and as you say, yeah. it is an art. Like some people can Absolutely. combine plants and it just looks like a schmozzle that's wrong and yeah. then other people just have a knack of yeah. combining. and. It, it's... A skill that you have to learn, I think. Mm. Yeah. 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 And yeah. and looking at other people and copying ideas yeah. is, is a good plan. Yeah. We yeah. always say with my mother is a plants person. Yeah. She's and a gardener, of course, yeah. but I mean as she still continues to cultivate her whole property yeah. at ninety six. Um and she is but she's just got the love and passion yes. of Oh, I love that. She'll have one of those and one of those. And yep. we always talk about mum. I go around there and I say, Mum, <laughs> let's get three or five of those in Loretta, there. Loretta, the mass planting expert. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, each to their own. Yeah, yeah. It's, absolutely. It's fantastic. And, and the thing mm. is, through her absolute love and passion and interest, it's brought about sort of so much knowledge mm. and so mm. much knowledge for me where I'll see one of hers and I'll say, well, I'm going to go and get ten. Um, you know, <laughs> but it's just fantastic. Mm. Look, I'm completely over the mass planting. I mean, mm. I, I, I get the concept, mm. Mm. but please, a mixed border. Yes. <laughs> you know, there might yes. be there might be ten of something in it, yes. but throw in a whole lot of other stuff as well. Yep. Yeah. Um, sort of a bit of diversity. Yeah, yeah. a bit of interest for <laughs> yes. sure. Oh, I agree totally. Yeah. It, I mean, it all comes down to, for me, it's the size of the property. If I'm doing a five-acre mm. landscape, yeah. well, obviously you've got to have repetition. Absolutely. But, but you yeah. want to have interest in there That's as well. That's right, and, yeah. and all year round. Yeah, yeah. Yes. absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. No, I couldn't agree more. They, 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 yeah, I have people coming in and the you know, great hedge of... Um, Evergreen magnolias or whatever it might be that they're wanting to use, and I mm. tell them off immediately. <laughs> <laughs> but make good mulch. You can take, you know, two thirds of them out and put something else in. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. All right. So yeah. we're going to run out of time soon. But someone, uh, Ruth, has sent a message in saying, "Could you please recommend a native ground cover for a low embankment in King Lake, part sun, part shade location?" Oh, look! I would mm. say immediately. If you're looking at a native, as I was talking about before, some very prostrate crevillias, um, prostrate, uh, um, what did I say before, corriers. You could put in... Uh, Go to Karanga and have a wander mm-hmm. around the ground covers yes. bay yeah. and be totally inspired. There's yep. there's yeah. ones which go for metres yep. um, or there's ones which are more clumping depending yep. on what you want. So, um, hey, look, guys, we have run out of time. Um, that sort of came around quite quickly as it always does. <laughs> I would like to first of all thank our producer and social media guru, Liz. Thanks so much for organising us all. Uh, and thanks to Lucille Strachan, 
Loretta Child and Craig Wilson for sharing your knowledge. I love um, listening to you all. It's always an absolute treat. Uh, my name is A.B. Bishop. So until next week when we've got more Garden Chat, bye-bye for now.